Hello, good Saturday morning, a great day to be alive, enjoying the beautiful weather. This is Saturday Java with Jason. I have my coffee. Uh, Do you have yours? I have Sean Eli with me. He's a comedian. He'll be going to the Warner Theater in Torrington, Connecticut. He does a few great routines. One of my favorites is when his brother is flying and he gets his mother going. And he also tries to fight Google. So here he is, Sean Eli. Hi, I'm happy to be here. I, I just want to say I rushed you into hitting the record button because you were saying so many nice things about me. I want everybody to hear that. <laughs> Dude, some of your jokes, man, the ones I heard are clean, but they're funny as hell. Well, you can be clean and funny. There's no need. I mean, I guess it depends on the comedian. Some comedians don't have clean jokes and some of us do. Well, I grew up with the Eddie Murphy, the George Carlin, the Red Sanford, all those. So I'm used to that. Plus, I do like the the newer versions, the clean comedians now. You got Stephen Wright. I grew up with George Carlin and, and all the people like that. But I also grew up with a mother who automatically, if somebody cursed, she assumed the joke wasn't funny. And that's why they had to curse to get people to laugh. So I, I sort of... I appreciate dirty humor. It's just not the kind of stuff that comes to mind most of the time. Now, one of my favorite things was that you said is you meet the guests after the show. Well, one thing you don't like is them telling you jokes. Yeah, people seem to want to do that. I have a joke about that that you were referring to, but people seem to want to do that all the time. They want to tell us jokes. I guess they want us to think they're funny. And it's very weird because there's no other kind of people don't jump onto the basketball court to prove they can shoot foul shots after a professional basketball game. People don't go into an art museum and try to hang their own paintings. (laughs) Maybe they do, but they get caught. Right, right. I mean, go and have a good time and then you meet the guests afterwards. So I guess you're kind of a laid back comedian. You're there for the fans. I think so. I like talking to people. I mean, if I were so famous that I would get mobbed, I would be probably think enough of this already. But now at this point, I find talking to the audience after shows is helpful and audiences like it because they get to come up to somebody that they sort of see as at least a semi-celebrity. Now, how, how long does it actually take you to prepare for a show? I don't know what you mean by prepare. Sometimes they just show up and start talking. Oh, because some people are like, well, there's different venues. I got to have different jokes and stuff like that. Are you the type of person that does the same joke all the time or? It depends. If I'm at a comedy club, I might show up and listen to the MC talk to the audience and see what the audience is like. And then have when I show up, if I'm doing a short set, like 20 minutes or under, I may have no idea whatsoever what I'm going to talk about until I step on the stage and just start ripping on somebody in the audience, let's say. I found out that the audience has a dental convention in it. And I'll talk about teeth or, or where they're from and, or something the previous comedian said. But if I'm doing a longer set, I usually pretty much plan what I'm doing. But since I have two hours of material, if you told me to do 45 minutes, sometimes I just go up and see where it goes. What are your favorite ones to do? I mean, I heard you, but people that don't do like one-liners, you try to tell stories. What's your, your go-to? I'm more a storyteller. When I started in comedy, this is kind of weird. 
When I started in comedy, I wanted to be a storyteller like Bill Cosby was. And I didn't really have stories. I just had short, silly jokes. After a few years, I realized I did have funny stories to tell, and I am nothing like Bill Cosby in any way. George Carlin said he was the class clown. What made you figure out, hey, look, I could be a comedian. What was your, your aha moment? Well, I think most comedians weren't the class clown. I think most comedians were the shy kid in the back who was afraid to speak up, but thought of something funny and maybe whispered it just to his friends or told somebody afterwards. I was, I don't know. I just, there's two things that, that I guess made me a comedian. One was when I had a day job and I would take the train to work in the morning and read the newspaper. And I think of something funny based on the headline. And that night, Jay Leno would be telling that joke. And I'd be like, oh, I can do this. So I, I pitched and started writing jokes for him freelance. So that was the writing side. The performing side was a decade later, somebody talked me into trying, trying stand-up comedy by taking a comedy class. And so you were never afraid of standing up in front of people? You never had the stage Absolutely. Right death, deathly afraid. Oh, it was horrifying. There were times even when I was doing it for a year or two that I would show up at a club and hope the show would be canceled. <laughs> I was scared going on stage. Now, people that do want to go to comedians and become comedy and this and that, and they have that fear, what kind of advice can you give to them how to overcome that fear? How did you do it? Well, there's a few things. First of all, I, I think I heard Greg Luganis, an Olympic diver, say this. He said, even if he had a terrible dive, his mother would still love him. So the worst thing that happens is a bunch of people think you're not funny and then you go home and you put it out of your mind as best you can. I mean, there's one advantage in start in comedy starting later in life. If you start when you're 20 years old and you have a crummy night, you go home and you cry and you're miserable. And if you're 40, you say, that was terrible. What did I do wrong? What can I learn from it? How can I make sure it doesn't happen again? And by the way, tomorrow I have another show. Right. And the best thing I guess you could say about that is just never give up. One bad show isn't the end. No. When you start out, sometimes you have bad shows and then they get fewer and far between. It's been a long time since I've had a difficult time on stage. How'd you actually start writing jokes? You said like a highlight from the newspaper. How did you actually turn that into a joke? Did you actually, did you practice it or did it just come to you? What was the aspect of that? Well, I, I mean, I started writing jokes when I was a kid. If I thought of something funny, I wrote it down. So I've been writing funny stuff. I just never did anything with it. And then, I mean, some, some jokes are easy. I mean, some jokes, you just take two things and you put them together and it's funny or you twist something and it's funny. And it's, some jokes are very easy to write. And those are the kind of formulaic things you'll see on a late night TV show. And, and some stuff is more subtle and more sophisticated. The one I did like is the one about your brother getting your mother going and the plane and stuff like that. Yeah, so I should tell the joke. Yeah, it's, because it's I don't want to mess it up. So I'm going to leave it. I'm, I, the spotlight will be on you. All right. Well, I mean, I, it's in the middle of a story. But basically, I say that how 40 years ago, if you flew somewhere, your mother would say, call me when you land. So I know you're as if she wouldn't have heard about a plane crash. So my brother used to fly a lot in business. And every time he flew somewhere, I would call my mother and say, mom, did you see the news? 
and scare the heck out of her until I told her something from the news that had nothing to do with the plane crash. That is how you cure a mother from overworry. Now, you see, the thing is, that's what I love is because you took that and you did make a joke out of it. You got to give you props on that. That was awesome. I wish I had the idea to do that when I was a kid. I can give you a stupid story. So my brother lives in Minneapolis and I was flying to somewhere through Minneapolis. I was changing planes in Minneapolis on the way to flying somewhere. And this is what, there were already cell phones. It wasn't like a hundred years ago. It's like 10 years ago. And I called my brother and I said, Hey, I want to live. I'm in Minneapolis airport and I'm changing planes. And he's like, that makes absolutely no difference. You can call me from anywhere. The phone calls are free. It doesn't matter that you call me just because you happen to be in the same city. It's not like I'm going to come see you in the airport. And I said, I know I'm not an idiot, but I know that as soon as I mentioned to mom that I changed planes in Minneapolis airport, she's going to say, oh, you were in Minneapolis. Did you call your brother? And I want to be able to say, yes, of course I did. And I happen to tell my mother I changed planes. She's like, did you call Seth? And I'm like, of course I did. Right. And that's the thing. I have a mother like that too. But this is awesome that you can give people tips and of how to get over things because I like to see people follow in other people's footsteps and say, hey, look, this guy gave me the advice. So if you can help the little guy out, that's awesome. I give you props for that. And I give you props for giving me help. This is, I'm just starting this podcast. So. You, you give me a hand and, you know, I want to say thank you on that very much. Well, I think if people ask me how to get started in stand-up comedy, some comedians disagree, but I say take a comedy class because you can't teach people to be funny, but you can teach people to be funnier. You can give them techniques. And also in the class, you're with a lot of other people who are exactly where you are starting out and you make friends and, you know, it's worth the 500 bucks. Right. And the classes you did, was that like a community college or was that through like no, it's, um, a, it's a guy who teaches comedy? He just basically every comedy class is the same format. It's like three or four or five classes where you practice in front of the, the class and the teacher and the students give you feedback. <laughs> and help you with punchlines. And maybe there's a writing session or two with the teacher privately. And then your graduation is a, a show on an off night or before prime time at a comedy club. And the audience is friends and family of the people in the class. So it's a very supportive environment. So, I mean, I was really, really nervous. And I said to the guy running the class, I'm really, really nervous. I want to go early because I'm so nervous. I just want to get this over with. Just please don't put me first. And he put me first. (laughs) Well, that's good, though, because then you're not afraid. Oh, I got to beat this person. This person did really good. I got to really show him. That's always a good thing. Yeah, but it's also the hardest spot to have because it really there really is such a thing as warming up the audience. And the the longer that the evening goes, the more people are laughing. The, The first comic has the hardest job. I never knew that. I always thought the first one was the easiest because you don't have anybody to compare to. They have their first show and it's a bomb. Do you think they should take their, just go and get another small club or do you think they should go and do another online class? What should be their next step after they bomb? Well, basically when you're new, you're probably going to be at an open mic night 
at a bar or a comedy club and the audience is mo most places the audience is only going to be other comics waiting for their time on stage and they're not really going to be paying attention so everybody's nobody's going to get a lot of laughter because people aren't listening and that's when i used to do open mics i used to be upset at the other comics who are not listening at one point when i was like one of the more experienced comics i noticed that you go to an open mic and six months later it's a whole different crop of people because most people have quit and i pointed out to them that the people who are not paying attention just looking at their phones or looking at their notes and not listening to the guy on stage they're gone in six months they never survive and the reason is you learn by watching other comedians even if they're bad you learn just by watching other people when you're new and so if you pay attention you get better but and i believe yes, it's going to be a tough slog at the and even when you are big, I believe it is Chris Rock, if I'm not mistaken, whenever he does a new joke or a new routine, he goes to an amateur open mic night to practice his jokes. Even though he's as big as he is now, he still does the amateur ones just to practice his, his craft. Well, if Chris Rock walks into the room, everybody's going to listen. So he's going to have an audience. So I guess that's a good thing then to get go in and practice your stuff then. Well, you really need to be in front of an audience. It's not like you can learn the guitar in your, in your room by yourself. You really need an audience to, to work out timing and get used to seeing people in front of you and being under a bright light. But I don't think, especially if you're a clean comic, the, feed, the little bit of feedback that you get from laughter or not laughter at open mic night is not representative of what you get from a real audience because it's all 20 to 25 year old I wouldn't say all. Half of the people at an open mic night are, are males between 20 or 25. And all they talk about is living in their parents' basement, smoking pot, and masturbating because that's their entire life. So they're not necessarily the audience you'd get in a comedy book. A paid show and this and that. But what's your average age then? Oh, it depends. I mean, if you're in a comedy club, the average age, the, the demographics of a comedy club are 21 to 30 or 35 for the most part a theater show the average age may be 50 or 60 and i've done shows in senior citizens or residences where hey anything where i can get in front of an audience and the average age may be 80 and you get different people appreciate different jokes depending on their frame of reference i had a, I had a joke i was working on it it was about Gil the tv show gilligan's island and i couldn't do it anymore because nobody remembers the show so I could do that for people in their 80s. I can't do that for people in their 50s. So your jokes have to change with the demographic of the people you're doing then? Or make sure that it's a reference that everybody would get. What I used to do is if I wasn't sure if people would get a reference, I'd run it by my young niece and I run it by my mom, who is obviously much older than I am. And if they both understood the reference, then I figured it was good. But New York comics sometimes have a good reputation out of New York and sometimes bad. And the bad comes from telling jokes that other people just don't appreciate. So if you have jokes about subways or if you have a joke about your your apartment is a studio apartment, it costs you $3,500 a month. And you do that joke in a small town in Ohio, they just think you're a friggin' idiot. Like you could get a house for less than that. What kind of idiot pays that? So those jokes aren't going to fly. What is your favorite? thing do you do you like the seniors do you like the younger crowds do you like the mid crowds what do you sean eli prefer well 
as long as I get to go make people laugh, I'm happy. I mean, I have the greatest job in the world. But older people, even though they'll have as much fun as younger people, they're just not as vocal. So you perform for 25-year-olds and they laugh and laugh and laugh. And you perform for 80-year-olds and half the audience isn't laughing. They'll still tell you they had the best time. And you'd be like, well, I didn't hear anything from it. But my, my favorite thing to do in comedy is to think of a joke. They always, the standard advice is don't open with a new joke. Don't close with a new joke because you don't know how well they're going to do. But I love thinking of a joke on the way to a gig. And I'm so enthusiastic to, enthusiastic to try it out the second I hit the stage that I think my enthusiasm will sell a new joke, even if it's not that good. But I love just thinking of something on the drive to a theater and trying out a joke. Younger crowd, you probably can roast them. Can you do a roast for the older people or do they get offended? I don't really roast. If I'm talking to the audience called crowd work and I'm joking with somebody in the audience, it's not going to be mean. So I'm not, I, I think that's a terrible thing for comedians to do because I met a lot of people who I'd say, Hey, have you ever been to a comedy show? And a pretty common answer was, Oh, I used to go all the time, but then the comedian made fun of me or made fun of my friend that I never went back. And it's terrible business to piss off your customers. So I think that's just dumb. There's a difference between, you know, what do you do for a living? Oh, you're a dentist and then having jokes about teeth versus just being mean to the person. Right. It's an occupation. It's, you always ask the person, what are you? Oh, I'm a dentist. No, that's your occupation. That's not who you are. Right. But if you make fun of dentists, if you're like, oh, right. dentists have a high suicide rate, you must be a depressed person. And why the hell would you want to make your living sticking your fingers in people's mouths? That's slimy and disgusting. You must be. Yeah. I mean, you're not helping anybody. And then probably every other dentist in that place would probably get up and walk out and be losing yeah. people. There are some yeah. comedians that I don't understand this. It's called walking the audience when you tell when you're so offensive that people get up and leave. There's some comedians, I think it's a bad Javon, are like, look at me, I'm so cool, I walked 10 people. Like, you offended, yes, I'm so edgy, they couldn't take it. Like, yeah, you were a bad comedian. People paid money to see somebody make them laugh, and you didn't make them laugh so badly that they left. Your YouTube videos really did make me laugh, and I got to really admit that I'm not just saying that because you're here on the podcast with me. You... You literally, oh, I was running late because I was watching your videos. <laughs> well, I don't put up the bad ones. No, but the ones you did put up almost made me late, and that was not a good thing for me. This is the espresso moment. What was your first job? I helped a guy with his paper route. Your favorite season? Summer. Favorite food? Ice cream, cheesecake. Who's your favorite hero? Superman? I don't know. My yeah, dad's not favorite. listening, so I don't have to say it. What time do you wake up? Nine or nine thirty. Are you a night in or a night out? I make my living at nights out. <laughs> I was going, I was traveling somewhere. I forgot where somebody said, "Oh, that city's great. It's got a great nightlife. You're going to enjoy the nightlife." And I'm like, "No, I won't." And they said, "Why not?" I'm like, because I am the nightlife. Are you a thinker or are you a doer? I would say okay. both. Do you learn by watching or do you learn by doing? It depends. I mean, stand-up comedy is both. When you go swimming, do you dive in or do you tiptoe in? No, I used to lifeguard and I definitely go in slowly because the water's usually cold. Now, what's your guilty pleasure? I don't feel guilty about anything I do. What motivates you? Wanting to succeed. Your deepest fear? Deepest fear is being eaten by snakes, but that's probably unlikely to happen. What's something you would want to be remembered for? I want to make a million people laugh. And on your gravestone, 
what's something you would want written to remind people that don't know you who you were? I want to be cremated, have my ashes thrown in the face of my enemies. What do you care the most about? Justice. Your final thoughts. Make this world a better place. People need to laugh more. And the way to do that is to go to my website, brainchampagne.com, and watch videos and read jokes and sign up for my email list. That would make the world a much better place. Everybody doesn't have to be so damn serious these days. Yes, I think laughter on my website, there, there's a page, I think it's under the corporate comedy tab, where it lists, there's links to at least a dozen studies showing the benefit of that. It's, definitely, it's helpful. It's healthy for people to laugh. I was actually told, I'm not sure if, if you want this one or not, but laughter can actually make you feel better too. If you're actually coming down sick and stuff like that, they actually say to laugh. Because it actually boosts your immune system. Yes, I will say people say laughter is the best medicine. And I'm like, well, I haven't convinced any health insurance company to cover <laughs> my shows with just a copay. But yeah, laughter's laughter is definitely good. And it's all right. Good all right. I know you'll be at the Warner Theater in Torrington, Connecticut, uh, yes. which is just about 45 minutes west of Hartford. Is there any other upcoming shows you just want to give a shout out to? So I'll be at the Warner Theater on Saturday, May 27th, 2023. I'll be at the Stationery Factory the next night in Dalton, Massachusetts, and the Park Theater in Cranston, Rhode Island on Saturday, June 24th. So basically, this early summer is spring and summer is New England. But I, I mean, I, I work all over the world, but generally I'm somewhere between Vermont and Virginia. There's places I right. can drive to. And again, just throw out your contacts, Instagram, Facebook, for people that want to find you. Well, my main website is brainchampagne.com. And that has all of, has videos, it has links to my social media, but Facebook is Eli is my middle name. So Facebook is Sean.Breitbart. Twitter, I don't use anymore, but it's Sean Eli Comedy. Instagram is Brain Champagne. I wanted Brain Champagne on all social media, but even though it's trademarked, a couple of the places wouldn't kick off the guy who had it. All right. I want to say once again, thank you so much, Sean Eli, for joining me today. All right. Happy to be here. Thanks a lot. It was fun. Great talking to you. Today I am drinking the Barista Brothers coffee. It is a dark roast, 100% Arabica coffee. It has a unique taste, very smooth, and I'm drinking it with a biscotti. Please like the podcast. We are here to please you. Please subscribe if you don't want to miss the lineup. Please leave a review to show the guests you really care. Until we talk again, may you enjoy your week, your dreams come true, and your coffee cup never run dry.